0: Is
1: are
2: those things That were on the floor? I said to her In a state of room Green things have entered
3: Have entered my skin
1: Yes, verdant objects
3: of indeterminate origin have sought entrance into my epithelium through my outer covering. Gladys. Green things
1: have entered, have entered my skin. Green things have entered, have entered my skin. Green things have entered, things have entered, things have entered, things have entered. Look, my baby, down the shore. Who she? It's coming to the door.
0: And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the to Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Green Things Have Entered My Skin, Gladys, by the driving stupid from Horror Asparagus Stories. And today on the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with... Paul Elder, who is putting together and is hosting a remote viewing workshop this weekend in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. No, this weekend times say 20, say March 27, 28, and 29 at the Masonic Temple, 1495 West 8th. Paul's hosting this, and we're going to investigate what it's all about right after we hear from the trolls from blue New Mexico recorded at Norman Petty's famous buddy Holly entrenched Studio Oh.
2: don't
1: Rain from my in you at all I don't recall Little girl
0: Still listening to CITR FM one hundred and two, cable one hundred and two, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, caller?
3: Hi, Nardwar. How are you doing?
0: Good. Who are you?
3: I am Paul Elder.
0: And Paul, what exactly do you do? I said before you came on, you'd be hosting and actually teaching an actual remote viewing lecture. What is remote viewing, and what are you doing in Vancouver coming up? Not this weekend, but in a couple weeks.
3: Yeah, it's at the end of the month, March 27th, 28th, and 29th. And um, um, primarily, I guess, um, at this point in my life, I've become something of an educator going around. Um, I um, have the uh, the wonderful um, luck of being able to uh, provide lectures and training Uh, across North America. Um, I'm certainly a Canadian citizen, and I live on uh, Vancouver Island. And um, I think primarily, um, you see, I'm a survivor of three near-death experiences, Uh, drowning at the age of 12 and a car accident at 17 and a heart attack when I was playing hockey at 41. And each of those experiences was really profound and life-changing in themselves. And subsequently, after um, the the last of those near-death experiences, I began to have many, many spontaneous out-of-body experiences. And I wrote about it, and it got picked up by a U.S. publisher, uh, Hampton Roads, and uh, they produced the book, um, and it's selling sort of worldwide now. And uh, the, the name of the book is Eyes of an Angel. And um, subsequent to that, I discovered a place um, in Virginia in the United States, called the Monroe Institute. <clears throat> now, the Monroe Institute has now become sort of a pioneer and world leader in consciousness research. And I began attending the Monroe Institute um, as a part of research and as part of a learning program um, many years ago, in uh, like 1989, and uh, discovered that they had this most incredible research base. and. Um, a product um, known or a a process, should I say, known as hemispheric synchronization, which helps people to stay in that place between awake and asleep where we can access the intuitive right uh, hemisphere of our brain.
0: And that's what you're going to be bringing to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada in a couple weeks on March 27, 28, 29. I played the song by the trolls. I don't recall. That's what they're saying. I don't recall by the trolls from Albuquerque, New Mexico's Norman Petty Studios, but actually from Pueblo, New Mexico. But I was wondering, with remote viewing, you're able to recall quite a bit of stuff, aren't you? You do recall quite a bit, don't you, Paul?
3: Well, (laughs) I'm not sure if it's a if, if it has to do with uh the the process that you're talking about we, but we can back up a uh, uh, uh just quite a bit here uh remote viewing for those of you who don't know haven't heard about it remote viewing is actually a process that came out of the um cold war intelligence days in the c i a back in the early seventies and um essentially I'll give you a bit of a history on it um u s intelligence um back then <laughs> Excuse me, had information that the Soviets were using psychics to spy on America. So, literally, they had guys uh, who could sit in a darkened room in Russia and draw out diagrams of uh, missile sites in America, and this, of course, concerned them very much. Um, so, they approached the leading uh, consciousness research facility there, Stanford Research Institute in California, uh, to ask or to see if this was even a possibility. And, of course, the a couple of scientists there who were working on this, Russell Targ and Hal up believed that it was, that it was possible to do such things. Um, they, in turn, had been working with a gifted psychic from uh, New York, a guy by the name of Ingo Swan. And so the second question, of course, that uh, this would evoke um, from the CIA was, well, okay, how do we, def- if, if this can be done, then how do we defend ourselves against it? And of course, their response was, well, good luck. And um, that then. Engenders the third question, which is, okay, is this something that we can do? And uh, subsequently, they thought it was, and they thought they could develop a system. So, um, this is like back in 1973, 74, and uh, with the funding from the CIA of about $50,000, began, in, uh, I think, a, a six or nine month study into the possibilities of being able to train people, um, psychics, if you will, um, as spies or as people who could determine certain information. Um, with, through non-physical or non-normal things. So remote viewing, essentially, <clears throat> is an innate human ability. Everybody can do this. We just don't tap into it because we're not aware of it. It's an innate human ability that we can access and describe any person, place, or thing, or event in time, um, regardless of time or space.
0: And that's you're going to be taking people through on March 27, 28, to Masonic Temple yes. in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. More information is at your website, paulelder.com, right? That's your website, right? Uh,
3: paul hyphen, or paul-elder.com.
0: Paul dash, Paul dash, Paul, it's, that's quite a dashing sort of thing to have in the middle there, isn't it? <laughs> paul dash, dashing. Now, speaking of dashing and movement and stuff like that, Paul, you are also the author of the book that you mentioned eyes of an angel. And reading over your book, there's very, very little, um, there's very interesting little tidbits that are in there. For instance, you talk a lot about your experience floating. What is it like to float? Like out of body floating, you almost hit a door frame. What is it like to float?
3: Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, it's most incredible. Everything that you could possibly imagine um, in that state, which is actually our natural state, our real state, is that as um, uh, living consciousness. Um, not only did I almost hit a doorframe, I mean, you can float right through walls. Uh, you can access any dimensions in the universe, if you wish, or, uh, or make your way and uh, access, um, you can visit with spirit guides and, uh, and loved ones past uh, already. Um, it's just really an amazing process, as you can imagine, because we are not this. We are not these human bodies. We are not these bodies. We are eternal energy. And uh, that's a real um, uh, a real existence as conscious living energy.
0: Now, I have a specific follow-up question to that. And if anybody has any questions for Paul, the number to call is 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions about remote viewing or the workshop that Paul's going to be putting on in a couple weeks. Now, Paul, on page... 60 of your book, you talk about going through the roof of an ambulance. You actually went through the roof of an ambulance. And I think this might have been after you had your heart attack at the hockey game. What was it like going through the roof of an ambulance? And I don't mean getting thrown through the roof, I mean floating through a roof of an ambulance. And do you actually feel the layers as you go through?
3: Oh, precisely. Um, uh, At that point, I had died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and uh and I floated up out of my body to the to the ceiling of the uh, of the ambulance, and watched as the ambulance attendant um, adjusted the oxygen mask on my face and checked her wristwatch. And I'm sure that I'm not sure that she was even aware that I was gone. And um, eventually, I felt this drawing something drew me um, a real pulling sensation, and I knew I was dying. And um, and so I simply withdrew or floated right through the ceiling or the roof of the ambulance and I could feel the material inside, I could feel the insulation, and finally the exterior metal layer as they came through it. And, uh, then, Did you
0: feel like you get stuck at all? Were you worried you might get stuck in the roof? No, no, you never,
3: no one who I don't think has ever had you know, the experience feels like they would ever be stuck. Um, we are indestructible conscious energy. The um, interesting statistics for you, um, International Association of near Death Studies, um, Ions International Group. Um, Their most recent surveys indicate that more than 20 million people in North America have had a near-death experience. So, 20 million. I mean, that's a phenomenal number. Of course, that you know, uh, with science and the advances in medicine and science, I mean, this becomes more and more uh, possible all the time as they're able to pull people back from the edge more and more all the time. So, a real significant, powerful number. And uh, what's even more astonishing is that as many as 25 percent of all people will, at some time, have a peak experience, uh, an out-of-body experience, um, spiritual experience in their lifetimes. So some real um, uh, incredible uh, kind of statistics that are out there. The one of the interesting things about people who have experienced near-death experiences is is that it changes their life. They lose. uh, 99% of them lose any fear of death. It changes their lives for the better. They become more loving, more conscious human beings. And uh, some of the other things that come out of that are that it also, many, many of them become, or most of them become, or will describe themselves as becoming more psychic. Um, many have, or begin to have out-of-body experiences where they can float through walls, as you indicated. Um, but more than that, I mean, that's just sort of a physical thing, but most important thing about being able to access your spirit world
2: for the spirit is that you can indeed Hello? visit with C- spirit.
0: Caller, are you there?
2: Yes. Hi, Nard, Um I love your show. I just had a, a question for uh, your, is his name Paul? Is that Paul, right? yes. yes. Yeah, hi, Paul. Um, I've heard of these um, incidents before, and there was a, uh, a hospital somewhere in the States where they wanted to do an experiment on this, and um, so they set up um, uh, a flashing sign on the on the roof uh, on the ceiling of um, uh, a surgical room so there's um many um, um dangerous uh, surgical procedures going on uh, uh heart bypass and so forth many people have um, passed away um during surgery and they put a, this flashing sign up on the roof and anyone who who did die on the operating table and they could resuscitate and bring back to life they asked them what did you see uh, did you have an out of body experience? Did you float around the room? Many of them said yes. So they put up this flashing sign of many different words, symbols, things, anything you know, cat, um, bus, anything like that. And when when someone had one of these experiences, they asked them, D- could you read any of the words that were flashing on the ceiling when you were having your out of body experience? And they did this several years ago, and since then, uh, several people had passed away and um, they resuscitated them, and none of them could say what um... Uh, what the words were that flashed around, they weren't conscious of of that at all, and they were trying to find some sort of proof that that these things do happen. And people said I could hear the doctors talking, and they and they might be able to um, accurately um, um, repeat some of the sentences that were said in the operating room, but none of them could could um, could um, uh, tell you what these words were that were flashing. So they didn't. They never came up with any proof of this, and I was wondering. Um, could you comment on that? And I'm just going to hang up and, um... Thanks, I love your show, Nodward. Well, thank
0: you, caller, and do-do-loot-do. Do-do. All right, yeah, sure. uh,
3: (coughs) You actually have some proof (laughs)
0: yourself that's actually in your book, Paul Elder. We're speaking here to Paul Elder. 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions to Paul, Paul's hosting a remote viewing workshop coming up on March 27, 28, and 29. More information... At Paul-Elder.com. In your particular book, Eyes of an Angel, you mention about the nail that you found. Is that a bit of proof?
3: Um, oh well, I mean, there's uh, there's many there's much much proof. But let me let me get back to the caller's question. Uh, the caller's question, and I'm very familiar with the case There's a doctor um, who was a part of the IAMS organization in uh, in the U.S. who was engaged for a while in research doing that. And they thought, well, okay, in these uh, cardio wards where people may have, um, uh, may experience um, near death experiences or float out of the body, that they thought, well, if they could put this symbol or um, print some words of people at an access where people couldn't see it unless you were at the season level, um, that possibly which was. The strange thing about it, and this is right back, <clears throat> this is a sort of strange anomaly about um, the out-of-body experience going back uh, many, many years um, since they were first aware of this or made aware of this. For some reason, the um, human spirit, or in an out-of-body form, language concepts seem difficult. Um, Like, it is difficult. And I read this first many years ago, that people out-of-body had difficulty reading the simplest of the language concepts. Um, I'm I'm not sure why this is, and in fact, I tried that out myself and had difficulty actually reading English language. Um, The concept and who we are seem to be so much vaster past um, the simple process of um, linear um, uh, language, Um, uh, left-brain language. It just seems really bizarre, And, uh, and, and I can relate some events to it, but this is something that they've discovered is kind of an anomaly. Now, there are certainly some people who can, and there are certainly some people who remote view. Um, for instance, another thing that um, remote viewers in general and people out of body, etc., and psychics for that matter, um, have difficulty seeing numbers or being able to interpret numbers into um, left-brain um, uh, concepts. And uh, we're not sure why this is, but there are so many, 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 many um, uh, incidents and the statistics on uh, unavailable proof for all. It's not a matter of really trying to prove it to anyone anymore. I mean, it's way beyond that. I
0: mean, uh, how about your uh, particular instances of proof? Like, for instance, in your book, you talk about the nail you fluted and floated and used yeah. your flutist to go through the wall. What was that like? Like, you can you explain that instance, please?
3: Well, and this was just during during an experience. Uh, this is in the early stages when this began to happen to me. And at first, you know, I was fearful of, you know, what this was or, you know, what was really happening. And so it would stay around my house, and it was just really fun to float through walls and things like that and through the roof.
0: I think it's cool also, Paul, that you tried to float through your wife. That was pretty interesting.
3: Well, I didn't try to float through her. I just tried. <laughs> um, the, uh, I
0: thought you tried to float through your wife, but you couldn't get through her, but you could actually go through a bit of her flesh on her hand.
3: Uh, no, that wasn't the case at all. Um, the uh, the uh, I had tried to awaken her while I was in an out of body state, and when I put my hand, um, my astral hand, um, on her leg, and um, and tried to um, shake her, it, my hand just went right through her, went right through her body, and so it was, and it it, it had the um, a really interesting electrical kind of response in me. Um, so that was what what happened there.
0: Are you oh, able to float through people? Like, could you float through your wife?
3: Yes, absolutely.
0: And what does that feel like?
3: <laughs> really profound.
0: Is it any more exciting to float through your wife than it is to float through, say, a random person that you find? Um, like somebody that you know, to get to float through your wife. You know, that's pretty cool. But to somebody else that you don't know, is that even more exciting?
3: I, well, I wouldn't put it that way. I'm, I'm not... I'm, I mean, I don't think we spend a lot of time doing that. But I mean, it certainly is possible, and it has happened to me. And I haven't really paid much attention to it. So, Paul, you were very fleeting. But let me, but let me get back to the nail thing, the nail issue. In one of these experiences, um, I reached into the wall. I was was examining something else, and in the cavity in the wall between the two by fours and the drywall, um, I felt this nail that had it was crooked. There was a drywall nail that had missed the, uh, the two-by-four and was sticking sort of out in an angle inside the wall. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And um, so my, at, at some point uh, uh, a while later, my curiosity completely got the best of me. And so I was doing some renovations in a room adjacent to it. And so I just uh, took out my, my drywall saw and uh, cut a hole in the wall and uh, it was one of those deja vu flashes. It was just sort of instant. And uh, I it was, it was so amazed to see this nail and this wonderful verification of this nail that was sticking sideways through the wall exactly as, it, as I had uh, felt it uh, in an out-of-body state. I mean, there were many other <clears throat> experiences, um, you know, that were verifiable, like seeing my wife uh, arrive for work and uh, being able to describe, while I'm in Virginia, some 3,000 miles away, being able to describe what she wore as she arrived to work and what she did at exactly that time, and, and being able to see my kids at school and describe what they wore, and uh, you know, and many, many, many cases. So there's not a question of having to prove it to myself or anybody else. But what I want to speak about, and the thing that I, talk, uh, um, that I teach this process of remote viewing and how these two things tie together, the remote viewing and the uh, out-of-body experiences, is when I discovered this place known as the Monroe Institute in Virginia, where they had developed this process um, known as hemispheric synchronization, um, I began to attend this place and uh, became involved in doing some research with them as well. And literally, they have this wonderful isolation chamber um, hooked up uh, with to a computer with um, brain mapping techniques, and they can measure and record brain waves and frequencies, and so on and so forth. And um, so I... Became one of the subjects that that uh, entered into their lab, all right. And some of the things that I was able to report, and some of the subsequent uh, information that they were able to pick up from me, and and the experiences that I had, um, I was introduced to some interesting people um, who seemed rather mysterious. And uh, you have to understand, I mean, before all of these things happened, I wouldn't have believed any of this. I'm a very, very skeptical person. I'm a former CTV News reporter, I'm a former mayor of a Canadian city, and um, pretty much a real world that I live in. So I wouldn't have believed any of this stuff, except that it was happening to me. And so some of the interesting things and the people that I was introduced to um, uh, that I found out later on, and these people talked about this top secret U.S. uh, military intelligence project known as Project Stargate. Um, Which um, had to do with this remote viewing. Now, we'll get back to the other side of that story when I first began in in California at Stanford Research Institute and this study by the CIA, in which they hired Stanford Research Institute to investigate the possibilities of whether the American intelligence agencies could train psychics as spies. And so they put together, they actually put together this program, which was a really remarkable thing and uh, built in the laboratory, specifically for psychic purposes, um, to see whether they could accomplish this. And as a result of that program, that initial program, the um, various intelligence agencies from the CIA to Defense Intelligence Agency to the uh, NSA and to um, Army Intelligence, all used or had access to this unit. Uh, They put together a special uh, top-secret unit, known as Project Stargate um, in, in the last years. And for 23 years, this agency operated um, uh, in a very top-secret fashion, um, using psychics or trained remote viewers um, to, um, uh, to access all of the information, or any information that, that they wanted. Now, we have, as human beings, um, and this is our innate ability, we have access to all knowledge in the universe. Um, that is really an incredible thing. I mean, essentially, you know, and, and, and this may sound new agey and, and I don't wish it to, but, I mean, essentially, we are all one in that we are connected. Our consciousness is connected um, throughout. And we have access to all information in the universe. It's just a matter of focus. And in this program, they developed a process where they were able to in a laboratory, repeat this process and put it together in a repeatable, proven fashion. And their successes were many, many, and they used this process for many, many years until 1996, when it became, um, it was leaked to the press somehow. And so we had, like the Chicago uh, Tribune and New York Times, uh, papers like that, with their headlines saying, you won't believe what the government is doing. they hiring psychics to spy, you know. And the giggle factor said, and, of course, if you have a top-secret program that everybody knows about, it's sort of limited in value. So typically they came out and they said, well, yeah, we've been doing this for years and years, but it really didn't work that well, so we're going to cancel it. And they did. They, um, they shut down Fort Meade, Maryland, um, Stargate um, Group, and reassigned the members. However, what they didn't say is that there were other units and still, still working on this, and they had wonderful success for many, many years in, in this process. <clears throat> so I subsequently, after attending the Mineral Institute, discovered that uh, part of the process that Stargate used involved also um, hemispheric synchronization or hemisync, this product or this um, application of tones that the Mineral Institute had developed that allowed people to go to this place in between awake and asleep where all things are possible. That time, when you go to sleep at night, as you're drifting off to sleep, right that space when hypnagogic images begin in your mind and you begin to see little daydreams or little images forming and it might be rehashing of the day's event in that space that delicate balance between awake and asleep when you're not really sleeping and you're not awake in that space are hundreds of levels of consciousness that we can explore and so the Monroe Institute technology simply allows us to stay in that space for extended periods of time that we can in fact indeed explore these
0: and when you're exploring and floating around paul elder sometimes you have to come back quote to earth because you have to take a piss it's interesting how having to take a piss can (laughs) stop your floating right
3: absolutely well the body (laughs) i mean the body dictates right i mean you can't um in, in order for the body to function in order for you to get up and to respond to your to the natural necessities your, um, your awareness and your spirit has to be there.
0: How long would the actual flights be, you think? Like only three minutes in actual time?
3: Oh, no. It's, it, like it varies, you know. Sometimes it seems, I mean, time doesn't seem to be particularly relevant on the other side. So t- sometimes in out-of-body exploration, um, I may have spent two hours um, being elsewhere or three hours. And sometimes it may have seemed like two or three hours when it was only two or three minutes. So there, there's this incredible download of information and uh, the process of being or being aware, and many of your listeners, if they you know, ever um, have experiences or, or do experience this, being aware of yourself or being conscious when you are out of body, because we do this every single night, every single night when you go to sleep, you will probably, you leave your body as your consciousness as your consciousness fades into the dream world or into the sleep world, your energy body leaves your physical body and it may stay around for hours just floating six inches away, um, relaxing, rejuvenating, or more than likely you spend that time shifting to the other realms on the other side, back to the spirit world, to your own soul groups and your own education and processing. Um, so this is a very natural process that we all experience.
0: And you're uh, going to be ta- teaching people how to float as well, right? Coming up at your seminar. Because it's not um, just like you talking about it. It's you're teaching how to float.
3: Uh, no. No, we won't be teaching people how to float or how to go out of body. What we're doing in this seminar, um, you see, subsequently, and this is you know, sort of a long story, I mean, when the folks that I was introduced to, um, and this is many years ago, um, told me about this project or the special top secret project and uh and what the um, what they were able to do that they had people, remote viewers, um, that they called them in the military, who could access any person, place or thing and describe it. And 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 I mean I had to be sort of dragged kicking and screaming to believe my own experiences, the old near death experiences, the out of body experiences. So I found this pretty fantastical and uh, subsequently, I ended up uh, because of, I ended up being trained with the uh, original Stargate remote viewers, uh, with uh, a number of them, and, um, and now I am the, um, the remote viewing trainer at the Monroe Institute in Virginia. Um, they fly me in several times a year, and I teach programs there. It's among other consciousness programs, um, uh, and then return back home to the island, and I also teach remote viewing programs here on the island weekend programs. This is an amazing, amazing thing that people can do. Everybody can do this. It's just a matter of focus and training on how to do it. We have access to all information. And every workshop that I do, people discover this, that that is their true nature, that we have access to all information.
0: And if anybody has any questions, it's 604-822-2487, 604 ubc CITR. If you have any questions for Paul Elder, from... What are you from, Paul? What would you say you're from?
3: Oh, well, I was born in Saskatchewan.
0: No, I meant like from. Like, what are you from? Is there Paul Elder, Inc.? Or what are you from? What do you say what you're from? You know, I'm Nardwar from CITR Radio. What are you from?
3: (laughs) I'm just from. (laughs) I I don't have any base. I mean, I live in Port Alberni, British Columbia, on the island here. And um, where am I from? I'm from the spirit world, like everybody else is.
0: Paul, when you're floating around there, do you ever see other people floating around too as you're floating up there?
3: Yes, occasionally. It has happened where I've seen um, other people in an out-of-body or in dream states. Sometimes in dream states, we will drift into other worlds, um, as you may re- be able to recall from your dreams. But um, you can see other people that are in an out-of-body state, and you can actually tell the difference whether the, a person is still in a physical embodiment or whether it's just a spirit.
0: And Paul, when you were up there, you ran into a gentleman called Meldor, and it was kind of like a Christmas carol. He took you around and showed you a whole bunch of stuff. Who is Meldor?
3: Well, we all, I mean, this is a, a really unique thing about it, um, and this is part of my re-education because I wouldn't believe this. We all, in fact, come here with spirit guides. Um, we make agreements on the other side before we come here. We actually plan out the kind of lives we're going to leave. We pick our... Parents. We pick our brothers and sisters or choose the kinds of experiences that we're going to have in this lifetime. And we enlist spirit guides to come along and help us. We um, can call them guardian angels if you wish, except they don't have wings. Um, I was introduced uh, during one of my out-of-body experiences. It was brought through to the other side um, by these two wonderful beings who I um, uh, identified as my spirit guides and um, the... Uh, prominent um, spirit guide his name is Meldor and uh, he introduced himself and the fact that he's been with me for forever and um, took me on sort of an education or a ride through the other side, a re-education if you will, as to what life is all about why we're here, who we are, and the entire process. And see, you can't and this is the whole notion that it brings up you can't have an experience like this, you can't have um, or be consciously aware when you're away from your body without changing your concepts of who you are or who God is, for that matter. When in the, when the very first out-of-body kind of experience that I had, when I became or was aware um, of... I mean, essentially, I had floated through a wall in my bedroom. I was standing in the hallway looking back into my bedroom where my body was located some 30 feet away. Thinking to myself how is this possible I'm standing here in spirit form or whatever form totally aware totally conscious never felt better in my life and yet my brain the thing that I supposedly use for thinking is over there 30 feet away laying in bed how is that possible and the, the download was instantaneous that we are not our brains we are not our bodies we're conscious living energy that we exist beyond the body the body we 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 existed long before this physical body in fact we've had many many bodies most of us have come through this process of reincarnation many many times
0: Paul Elder, on page 100 of your book, you talk about Meldor taking you on a journey to, quote, "Well, there was a sword battle in medieval times. He took you back to medieval times in a sword battle. What was the sword battle that you saw in medieval times that Meldor helped float you to? Oh,
3: well, this was, um, this was part of a process of um, an understanding about life and reincarnation and how we live many, many lifetimes. And this was just part of that process of um, seeing souls engaged throughout, you know, throughout time in, in many, many different lifetimes. I mean, that was just one of the lifetimes where we um, people engaged in medieval times and uh, hacking and you know, cutting each other with swords and engaging in war and all the craziness that, with this, that humanity has engaged in you know, forever.
0: Can you go back in time, say, to like World War II or Jesse James as well and try to get secrets from there? Like, did the stargaters try to ever go back there and find out, was Hitler really dead? Have you transported yourself back then?
3: Um, Every class that we do, um, weekend class that I do, we do that. We go back in time. And people are able to report accurately the events, people involved, things of that nature.
0: What sort of events have you seen?
3: Oh, many, many. <laughs> you see, I've, um, over the years, this is many years that I've been doing um, remote viewing, and uh, and we get involved in, in, in many different aspects of it, and um, I'm tasked and asked to help out in a lot of things, and we have a group of people, uh, a group of us, and we do things like looking for missing kids, and uh, sometimes chasing criminals, and other things like that. So, There's um, many, many events and uh, places. I mean, um, I think the general public would be totally amazed at what is possible with the human mind and what people are already accomplishing and already doing.
0: Have the eaters found bin Laden at all?
3: Um, (laughs) You know, that's a good question. And uh, and and a lot of them, um, you know, I mean supposedly all right i mean the, this the program stargate was decommissioned back in 1996 all right so which was long before um uh, bin laden came on the scene however there were a number of people who remote viewers now practicing remote viewers former members of stargate and things like that who are now teachers etc um who did um target him right and the difficulty that they had, from what I understand, and uh, there were other many, many other successes in, in in the Stargate program of tracking hostages, tracking people, and uh, you know um, during desert storm, and uh, other events like that um, in the uh, bin Laden case um, and so many 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 people reported this that in tracking bin Laden, a cave is a cave, and there are thousands of them in afghanistan they don't have any addresses and um you know so in this process and, and supposedly this, this gentleman kept on the move and um and uh, and was being hidden in in other countries
0: paul elder who was that old man when you were floating that came up to you and said boo
3: <laughs> See. Uh, <laughs> I'd um, yeah, better give some background on that. Um, in and out of body state, in an exploration state, while well, I was at the Monroe Institute in Virginia in, the, in their uh, special lab, um, we're doing some exploring on the other side, or in between worlds, or in between consciousnesses, and I'm um, moving along in a void which is completely black, and there just didn't seem to be anything there. In them. Getting kind of restless with it and bored with it because nothing's happening. I'm not, you know, I'm just floating along, not seeing anything. And suddenly, the face of an old guy just suddenly popped up as if he had stood up from behind a wall, and he just went boo and it scared the bejesus out of me. I'm, I'm sure, you know, that you know, if I had a body, my, you know, at that place, my heart would have quit. It was just, just, just scared the snot out of me, right? right? And then he disappears again as if he's bending down behind this wall, and he's just started howling in laughter, and he's just having this great, great chuckle and, uh, and and belly laugh at my expense. You know, and so, but when I sort of regained my composure and, you know, and uh, made some comment like, you know, if I can find you, I'll kick your wrink- old wrinkled ass, and it uh, just send him up in sort of gales of laughter as I could, you know, hear him heading off into the void somewhere. Um... It was actually my spirit guide who was just giving me um, a little hint that I was taking things too seriously, that I'd need to look at the humor in it.
0: Paul Elder, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, March 27, 28, and 29, hosting a remote viewing workshop. More information at paul-elder.com. You, when you're floating about, have quite a hard job, don't you? You've had to tell people that they're dead.
3: Oh well, see, there's one of the things covered in um, in a number of different places, and it's one of the things that came up at the Monroe Institute in the explorations of consciousness, there appear to be, or there are, souls in this world, and if anybody who's watched like, um, the television shows recently, um, uh, and I can't think of the name, something like Ghost Whisperer, um, etc or medium. There are souls who die in such a fashion, or who may die in such a fashion that uh, or in such belief systems that they don't realize they're dead. It might be a very traumatic experience. They don't realize that they've passed over, and they're stuck for that moment in time. And this can span hundreds of years of physical earth time. For them it's just the instance of time. And they don't realize that they've actually died. And Because of that, they're not able to see their own spirit guides or their own loved ones who have come to get them to take them on, and reorient them on the other side. And so they're just kind of stuck in this space, you know. Um, People might refer to them as ghosts and things of that nature. Um, For the most part, I mean, they're earthbound because they just really don't realize that they're actually dead. And um, in some of the explorations and some of the uh, research that, they were doing at the Monroe Institute and certainly other facilities have, other, both have discovered this. Uh, occasionally some of the explorers or some of the other body experiencers would describe running into people like this who seemed to be sort of locked in that space of time. And um, so part of the process, of, we developed the process of being able to help them because they, strangely enough, being still of the earth vibration, they hadn't let themselves move they could see someone who was in out of body state, who still had an inner earth vibration, of course, and but they couldn't see their own spirit guides and loved ones. And uh, so what we found, or what they found, is that people in an out of body state that could communicate with these souls who were sort of lost um, to get their attention, to um, make them aware, was very helpful to the, that soul spirit guides who could then move in and assist them.
0: And you actually went in, and in one instant helped a guy deal with the death of, was it his wife or his daughter or something, in a giant lake?
3: Oh, yes, there was, um, yeah, the, you know, dealing with his wife. And uh, they had both drowned in a lake, and he wasn't, she had moved on, and he wasn't aware that um, that uh, he was dead.
0: And your spirit guide said, you got to go down and do this one.
3: Right, right, and so we... Uh, because he could see me, and uh, so we, we could assist him that fashion and just sort of explain to him and show him. you know and that's essentially what we did. I showed him his, his wife's body and, uh, and his own body
0: And then once you did that, everything was okay.
3: Yeah, he became he understood, and his spirit guides were able to um, sort of bring him along then.
0: And on page 159 of your book, Paul Elder, if anybody has any questions for Paul Elder, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Paul Elder is hosting a remote viewing workshop, March 27, 28, and 29, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Masonic Temple, 1495 West 8th Avenue. On your book on page 159, you talk about being in a truck with orange pylons, and in a few sentences later, you talk about, quote, that you get to do car crash. Does that mean you're a stuntman as well? What was that about?
3: (laughs) The, um, the, uh, it's hard to put that into context if you haven't, if you haven't read, you know, the entire book. Um, The we are all part of groups of souls, or we have soul groups, and now these are groups of souls that can vary in size. From uh, in my particular case, there's fourteen of us. Soul groups vary in size from two or three to hundreds or even thousands of souls that are so similar and so alike in harmony and vibration that we could literally wake up in one of their bodies and not realize the difference until we looked in a mirror, for instance. And um, so this is sort of how this whole process works or how we evolve with it. Um, many people, I mean, if you talk about a reincarnation, there's a lot of people who believe or think that, yes, we do have many lifetimes, but they all happen at the same time. And I'm not one of those who believes that, because I think there is a sort of a linear clock to this, uh, although time isn't particularly relevant. But what we get to do as, uh, as part of uh, soul groups, for instance, in my group, there are 14 of us. There are only four of us that are incarnated right now on the planet Earth. Um, the other 10 remain on the other side. But the neat thing about it, I mean, they remain on the other side of spirit um, helping us, being interested. The great thing about it is that they get to experience my life along with the other three of us that are here on Earth. And the neat thing about that as well is that in my sleep state, when I sleep at night, when we, and we all do this, then I also am able to travel to the other side and I am able to experience the lives of the other three. All right. So, I mean, it's sort of a wonderful process because, I mean, we can sort of, um, at least vicariously, experience a number of lives at the same time.
0: What exactly did you mean, though? Get to do car crashes? Did you mean you had to go down and tell the people that they were dead after a car crash?
3: Oh no, that has. Yeah, no, that. um, Yeah, you. You. um, Yeah, that just (laughs) that would be completely out of context in it. this was just a moment in time when um, in the morning I woke up um, and, and had the experience of being in this body, which I would have thought it was me, but I'm in the back of a truck and there's a bunch of tack equipment and there's some pylons and things of that nature. And this truck is driving along and it's in, a, in, in like a large studio complex of um, uh, movie houses or uh, movie theater movie um, warehouses and this guy whoever he is is involved in doing um, grip and things of that nature and uh, you know um, stunt kinds of things in the movies and so I experienced for a few moments being inside this person's thought process or body um, while they're on the way to
0: work. Now, I'm really interested in Jimi Hendrix and his time in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada in the early 1960s, when he was coming up living with his mother and also his grandmother, etc., in Vancouver, in Strathcona. Could you transport yourself, Paul Elder, into Jimi Hendrix in Vancouver in the early 1960s and then find out what it was like for him growing up here for a little bit? Could you do that?
3: Well, not in the sense that you're talking about, I don't think, um, but as, as a remote viewer, in a remote viewing sense, of being able to um, connect and to pull out this information, uh, probably we could.
0: Have you done anything like that? Like, have you gone back in time to find out more about stuff you were interested in?
3: <clears throat> um, yes, many times.
0: In what way? Is there anything of a historical nature perhaps you could share with us?
3: Well, um, most of most of these things are, you know, of a, of a personal nature, but we can derive some information um, out of this process that is so beyond anything that we can understand. Um, going back in time to describe an event and what happened, we can actually put ourselves into the minds of the people who, um, you know, like, as a... A double-blind targeting system, which we use in the training process for remote viewing. If, say, the target um, that we had—the hidden target that nobody knows about—was, um, say, the Sphinx over in Egypt, for example, not only can a remote viewer describe, you know, the Sphinx and what it's made out of, its structure, etc cetera, et cetera, But a trained remote viewer can go way beyond that to describe what was in the minds of the people who built it at the time that it was built and what they were feeling at that time. So the possibilities are really endless. We really do have access to all information in the universe.
0: So did you do anything of historical nature that the listeners perhaps might be interested in that wasn't of a personal nature that perhaps you could share with them at all, Paul Elder?
3: (laughs) Yes, I can tell you about uh, a couple of things. Um... <laughs> in, in the training process, when I, um, was, uh, and we practice quite often, and uh, one of my friends, who's was the um, former director, um, Pentagon director of Stargate, um, <laughs> we still do a bit of research uh, occasionally. And one of the targets that he gave me to remote view, um, and I ended up in an out-of-body form, all right. Um, no, I have no idea. I mean, essentially, we have, I mean, my friend would have an envelope containing some information or some a photograph or two of some person, place or thing, somewhere in time at his home in, uh, in, in, in Maryland. And at a certain time, I mean, uh, the only thing that I would have would be a number. He would have, say, a number, a random number that he invented and put on an envelope. And he would send that number to me and say, okay, describe... The location depicted by the photograph that I have in my envelope, all right, or the event or person or place or thing, okay. And uh, in this particular case, um, I ended up in an out-of-body state. Um, Just very suddenly, there was like a shift in consciousness and in vibration, and I'm standing inside a fairly um, uh, opulent, if that's a a correct word, um, building of some sort with, um, and it seemed like an older, older building that very well-to-do people in some sort of a parlor of some kind. But I would imagine it was probably, it, it seemed like very old, long before electricity, long before, you know, many other uh, normal conveniences. And while I'm standing in this room, suddenly a spirit, a woman, a, the, the spirit of a, very, of a very attractive young blonde woman, simply walked right through the wall, and she was very scantily clad in a negligee. And another one followed her, and they walked into this, um, into this parlor where I was standing and approached me, and the, the first one reached out to, to embrace me and to kiss me, and, and I was just sort of shocked because it was, I knew that they were spirits, and it just sort of like pulled, pulled back very quickly into my body. And so I reported this right, to uh, put together a summary and said, okay, this is what happened. This is what I experienced. I ended up in this particular, in this kind of building somewhere, and two spirits came right out of the wall and, you know, very scantily clad and wanted to have sex with me. And, um, I mean, what a great scenario, right? So I sent this off, this report. And um, my friend uh, who set up the targeting um, said right on that was 100%, 100% hit because the target was a famous brothel that had burnt down in, the eight, in uh, 1800 and whatever it was. And a number of the, um, the um, uh, prostitutes who lived there burnt inside the building and it was deemed to be haunted, and so you've you know, just described it. So things of that nature, you know, going back in time.
0: Paul Elder, how much time do you spend in bed or sleeping? Is it addictive?
3: <laughs> well, no. I mean, we have to. We certainly have, you know, have to live. We have to make a living. We have to do other things, right? You know. So now it's become a process. I mean, I've done, you know, thousands of remote viewings, and uh, I actually, um, uh, you know, make a living doing that. And. Uh, telling people, you know, things that they need to hear, that they want to, um, information that they need. And also do some, you know, some things and in, in finding missing kids and things of that nature.
0: Do you have to do it in a bed? Can you do it in a chair or something?
3: Oh, well, remote viewing, for, you know, for my purposes, is, you know, can be done just sitting up, sometimes sitting in a restaurant. You know, although it makes it, it, makes it a lot easier, um, you know, laying down, relaxing in a darkened environment or quiet place.
0: On page 63 of your book, Paul Elder, we're speaking to Paul Elder. If you'd like to speak to Paul Elder, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions for Paul, he's hosting a remote viewing workshop coming up on March 27, 28, and 29 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. More information at paul-elder.com. You say on page 63, as I mentioned, death I realized would be a glorious event. Now, is that a scary statement for people to read, like a suicide bomber or something? Death. I realized would be a glorious event.
3: (laughs) That's an interesting perspective you have on it. I can tell you one thing for sure. Um, I mean, I travel and I've been uh, all over North America doing lectures and remote viewing workshops and and been involved in a lot of research in uh, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, things of that nature. And I can guarantee you, I can tell you this straight up, the most incredible experience that you will ever have in this lifetime is dying. Absolutely. The most wonderful thing that will happen to you in this lifetime, the most incredible experience, will be dying.
0: I think my, listeners, my listeners of the Nardware to Human Survey radio show probably wish that after every show. Ba-boom!
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the pain of a heart attack or the pain of cancer or something of that nature of an accident or whatever. I'm talking about the actual moment, the transition that takes place. When you realize, when your consciousness does not cease to exist, when you realize that we don't die, there is no such thing as death. Our human bodies die and we move on. But we are We and infinite. We continue to exist. And that actual knowing, that process of moving out of the body fully consciously and realizing that we are powerful spirits, that is the most incredible thing. And every single one of us will experience that.
0: Caller, are you there? Welcome to my castle!
2: Welcome to my castle! Welcome to my castle! Welcome to my castle!
0: Caller, are you still there? Go ahead to Paul Elder, 604-822-2487, ubc citr Well, the caller was actually singing, which makes me think a bit more about music, Paul, and you have a bit of a music background. Weren't you involved in CKOM, like you were out of Saskatoon or out of Regina in the 1960s? Did you get down with the Winnipeg scene of their bands like the Checker Lads? Were you into garage punk of the 60s? So-
3: Punk of the sixties? No, that was rock and roll, man.
0: Would you remember any of the local I've, bands from when I've, you were growing up?
3: Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I sang in a in a rock group um, back in the late sixties and um, until until really till the late seventies um, as well. But I was a disc jockey um, in the rock and roll station in Saskatoon, and uh, later worked for CTV News and CTV Network. That was an interesting caller. They um, that you have there. Um, they obviously have some problems. <laughs>
0: No, I think they probably are just very musical and want to express themselves in a musical way. And you were kind of saying when you're floating around, not everybody expresses themselves through words and stuff like that. Sometimes they're just doing visual expressions. So I guess this caller was doing the musical expression. And I guess I was wondering, Paul Elder, specifically, though, what bands do you remember from when you were growing up there in Saskatoon? Oh, goodness. Well, all of the,
3: you know, um, all of the main groups, of course, the Beatles was a big group, um, the Guess Who... You know, The Who.
0: How about any of the local groups? Do you remember any of the local groups? Like the Checker Lads? Do you remember that band?
3: Uh, no. No. The, um, I mean, that was based in Saskatchewan. I mean, there were groups called like Legend, or my own group was called Effigy. Um, Did you guys release anything? Uh, no. No, we were just a club band.
0: And you are Paul Elder coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, hosting a remote viewing workshop. And winding up here, Paul, Mackenzie King was a Prime Minister of Canada. You yourself were a mayor. Was Mackenzie King into remote viewing?
3: I have no idea. I heard he
0: was, like he was into the crystal ball and those types of things.
3: Oh, well, that's not remote viewing. I mean, but still- may, be in- may be involved in, you know, psychic activities of some kind, but... Uh, Yeah, I would have no idea.
0: But, however, you mentioned psychic activities and stuff like that. Are there other mayors that are involved in psychic activities that you've encountered? Not that I know of. And what sort of reaction did you get from your constituents? Did you talk to them about your psychic abilities at all?
3: No, I don't think anybody knew about it.
0: How about using your psychic abilities, for instance, to remote view, like, a secret UFO base in the dark side of the moon? Did any of the Stargaters do that at all, Paul Elder?
3: Yes. From what I understand, they did.
0: And what did they discover there? And what do you know about secret ET bases on the dark side of the moon?
3: Well, I don't know anything about them. But uh, I have read um, some of the um, Stargate people, in, or Ingo Swan, in fact, the, um, the gentleman who put together the, uh, the, the program itself, had remote-viewed uh, structures, um, things of that nature, large structures on the, the back side of the moon, because we never ever see that, that part of it. Um, and, you know, and, and it raises some interesting questions. I mean, there are some people, you know, um, to this day who believe that it was all just a big scam, that America really never did end up on the moon. Um, the possibility, and, and, you know, it's interesting thing. more and more people all the time believe in E.T., and, uh, and I can share from my experiences the legitimacy of that there certainly is, and we are certainly part of that consciousness of the extraterrestrial consciousness. Um I happen to think there may be some good validity to the possibility that there are uh an alien base or other structures on the other side of the moon. There are certainly um, I believe um, hidden alien bases on this planet Earth. Um, one of the interesting things about and one of the sort of postulations that came out of Swan and his um, um remote viewing of the back side of the moon and, and observing structures and things of that nature um, interesting thing about that program when you consider the apollo program entirely and i mean the big race was on between the u s and uh, and the soviet union to get to the moon uh... first to put a man into orbit and then to get to the moon and to do whatever to colonize or claim the moon etc you know, etc et and the Americans landed on the moon several times and Then suddenly, with a number of of, um, uh, missions still remaining in this whole thing with the moon, suddenly it was dropped. All of the moon missions were dropped. The Soviets and the Americans, they just simply did not talk about it. There was no announcement that, no, we're finished with the moon, we're not going to do this anymore. It was just simply dropped, like nobody ever talked about it again. Neither the Russians nor the Americans. It was just dropped. And so there was some speculation that, I mean, this was such a main focus, billions and billions of dollars spent to try and get to the moon in the moon race. And then all of a sudden, nothing just dropped it. And so the speculation that um, ET, or extraterrestrial aliens of some sort, uh, essentially said, stay away. Get out of our backyard. Because there was nothing ever talked about. The program was just dropped. Like, a, you know, and um, so I I have no idea whether that is valid or not, but that's,
0: you know, some of the things that I've heard about. How about the hidden alien bases on Earth you mentioned? Mm-hmm. There's a um, belief
3: by a number of people, you know, that there were certainly, We of course, we've all heard about Area 51 in the Nevada Desert and uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, places of that nature, and some places in Alaska and other sites some underwater, some within the cliffs um, in New Mexico. Um, You know, there's speculation and various, and and in fact, some remote viewings on that.
0: Was it hard to locate where they were because they were all cave-like?
3: I don't know that, um, um, I have no direct experience in that, so I don't really know.
0: Well, thanks for calling in to the Nardwarta Human Survey at Radio Show here today, Paul Elder. What can you tell the people again about your lecture coming up in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada?
3: Well, it's a workshop, not a lecture. I do have uh, some lectures as well. I'm, being, uh, I'm um, speaking uh, on the, oh gosh, on the 10th, on the evening of the 10th, uh, to the um, uh, Surrey Equestrian Society, um, and that's open to the public as well. And uh, people can check this out on my website. There's information and the addresses there of the locations and also the Vancouver uh, Questor Society meeting on uh, the 11th, or 12th, I'm sorry. And and then on the end of the month, on the 27th, 28th, and 29th of March, I have a a weekend workshop teaching people or training people on how to do this remote viewing process.
0: What can you tell people a bit about the workshops? I said lectures a few times, I'm sorry. What's the difference between a lecture and a workshop? You're going to give giving some people some hands-on experience where they can go home and do some remote viewing and also perhaps do some floating?
3: Um, well, no, it's not geared towards the floating or towards other body experiences, although, you know, it certainly is a possibility for people. But, I mean, it's about processing and accessing this information and this process because we really have access to all information in the universe. Um, okay. Lectures, well, I mean, a lecture is a lecture. I mean, that's like an hour and a half event. Um, the workshop is uh, Friday evening and then Saturday and Sunday as well. And I teach this process of how to go inside into your mind, how to connect. We listen to some HemiSync provided by the Monroe Institute, and how to access all of this information and to lay it out on paper so that we can prove it time after time after time.
0: Why should people care about remote viewing, Paul? Why should people care?
3: (laughs) I guess that's a totally... It's like, why should we care about any kind of knowledge? Why should we care about knowing anything? Because it gives us a broader perspective in the world to experience. Like, everything that we learn gives us a larger base in which to experience the world around us and to experience who we really are, and that's the most amazing thing. We are not just these physical bodies. We are vastly powerful spiritual beings.
0: Well, thanks much, Paul. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Paul Elder, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, March 27, 28, and 29, Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday, Masonic Temple, 1495 West 8th Avenue, paul-elder.com. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all?
3: Um. I, I'm not really, I mean, just other than, you know, that we need to understand, I mean, the most important thing in your life, when you die, and this is one of the most important things that I ever learned about out-of-body experience and near-death experiences, and life in general, when we finally pass on from this earth, because we don't really die, we just transit, it won't matter one little bit who won or who lost or how important or how rich or famous we became the only thing that will ever matter to anyone is how we treated other people along the way. So the message, really, is just love each other.
0: Well, thanks much, Paul. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do loot You're welcome. Uh, almost, Paul. do do the loot do
2: loot Do-do. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Zoink, zoink. Dooley, ya ba ba ba, zoink, zoink. One morning I was born on the planet Mars. I gassed up my cradle and I shot through the stars. And I landed on Earth with a solid bang. I'm the Fang. I'm the Fang. I'm the Fang. Now it didn't take me long to get settled down. Cause when I dug the cool chicks in every town, I said, this is it, cat, let's get Earthbound. I'm the Fang. I'm the Fang. I'm the Fang. I got a beep up cap, man, a real stingery, and a solid gold keychain down to the knees, and real nervous pegs with a crazy crease, I'm the fang, the fang, I'm the fang, man, I'm feeling just like a newborn colt, I'm gonna hit these chicks with a Martian joke, cause I'm a red-hot daddy with a thousand volts, I'm the fang, I'm the fang, I'm the fang. I'll meet this earth cat and he says, Hi, you all, man, you're real nervous. You feel like a ball. I said, sure, Daddy. He said, let's find a hole. Ah, he didn't know I was a fang. The fang, the fang. So we dug a cool haul and tried it on for size, and all the cats were jumping to a rock and roll cry, and every Mellaroonie chick just glued her eyes on the fang. On the fang. On the fang. My feet started flashing like the noonday sun, and my blue suede were hotter than a two-dollar gun, and the chicks all yelled, Daddy, oh, you're the one, you're the fang! You must be the fang! You're the fang! Now when I left that hall about twelve midnight, I was an outer space papa that was feeling right, cause every chick in the house was mine on sight. Man, I'm the fang! I'm the fang! I'm the fang! I revved up my rod and I flashed into the flight and I sped through the stars back to Mars my delight and I know those earth chicks are dreaming the night of the fang, of the fang, of the fang. Oh, Zorch. Down in Louisiana in the land of romance All the Zorch people got a funny new dance A simple little wiggle with a hop and a beat It's got all the cats a-jumpin' and a beating their feet A boogie-woogie rhythm with a touch of bebop And everybody's calling it the bullfrog hop First you hold your hands up like a kangaroo Then you bend your knees and hoppy-hop one, two Now go on your left foot. While your right one beats, not try it on your right foot as your left repeats. Hey, once you get the swing, I know that you can't stop. A wiggle, hop and beat into the bullfrog hop. A booby, a a wee ba 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 booby, a booby boom, boom, ba 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 da a A ba 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 down in Louisiana in the land of romance All the Zorch people got a funny new dance A simple little wiggle with the hop and the beat All the cats are jumping and are beating their feet A boogie-woogie rhythm with a touch of peep-bop And everybody's calling it the bullfrog hop First you hold your hands up like a kangaroo Then you bend your knees and hoppy hop one two Now wiggle on your left foot while your right one beats Now try it on your right foot as your left tree. Pete, hey, once you get the swing, I know that you can't stop. A wiggle hop and beat to the pool for all hope. Boy, it's a hot one, I'm telling you. Now, here's the way Stone Ages wooed. Back a million years or two. The words you may not understand, but the meaning you will come for he said oh he said, oh oh <laughs> oh <laughs>
3: He said oh 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 oh
0: CITR News. CITR 101.9 FM presents News 101, Vancouver's volunteer-produced student and
2: community newscast. And now here's your host, Carrie Baptist.
1: Good evening, I'm Carrie Baptist. Coming up on the program, you may soon see Backyard Chickens in Vancouver, coverage of landmark First Nations legislation in B.C., and on the right-of-way with Brad Pepink, coverage of the re- recent International Criminal Court indictment of the president of Sudan. We'll have all this plus arts in your weekend weather forecast coming up in the next hour right here on News 101. Up first this evening, we go to Radio for UBC for their perspective on campus affairs.
2: Thank you. Hey, hey, UBC. Welcome back for the first time in a couple weeks to Radio Free. A um, couple of stories for you today. We're going to start, though, as we tend to, with the news on the UBC farm. Um, probably going to be mentioning this a couple times in the next couple weeks, but there is the Great Farm trek put on by the AMS, um, spearheaded, I believe, still by former President Michael Duncan. Um, that's going to be on April 7th. It's a Tuesday, 3.30, starting at the sub. And they will be marching to the farm. Um, there's a Board of Governors meeting that day that's going to be talking about the farm plan. Um, I'm more political and that's completely family friendly, everything, instruments, food, whatever you want to bring, whoever you want to bring, um, bring them. It's going to be amazing. Um,